Hello and welcome to Cultivating Conversations. I'm Claire Nazir. The energy storage market is primed for huge growth. In March 2023, a European Commission published its recommendations on energy storage, stating that concrete actions were necessary to ensure greater deployment. It went on to highlight the many benefits. Analysis showing that storage is the key to decarbonizing the energy system. It injects flexibility into the system, bridging the gap of supply and demand. Storage also lowers electricity prices during peak times, and these technologies facilitate the electrification of different economic sectors, notably buildings and transport, all vital parts that contribute to the road to net zero. A recent report from APAC suggested the Asia-Pacific energy storage system value is anticipated to surpass 900 billion US dollars by 2032. In the US, according to the American Clean Power Association, energy storage had its best year yet in 2022, with cumulative operating utility scale storage capacity increasing by 80%. There are many different types of energy storage system out there, and the buzz around battery storage right now is undeniable. The trend is clear. Energy storage is on a rapid growth curve and is already a key component of building a resilient grid that supports abundant clean energy. The scale of opportunity across the world is enormous. So how do businesses respond to this demand? How effectively can new solutions be developed and deployed quickly that will make important contributions to the industry? Well, meet a company that are doing just that. Reenergize have created a smart, simple solution to energy storage, and it's getting a lot of interest. I caught up with Stephen Crocher, co-founder and CEO of Reenergize, to learn more about their successes so far. I began by asking him about the concept and design of their high-density hydro solution. So myself and colleagues, um, particularly CTO, Tamas Patani, we'd been at various energy conferences a few years back and everyone was talking about the future of energy is going to be renewables and the problem with with renewables is um, intermittency, as everyone knows, and the solution to intermittency is going to be batteries. No one talked about any other form of, of flexibility for, for the, the, the energy transition. It was batteries, batteries, batteries. And batteries are great. You, you know, they have their place to play in this. So, so I'm, I'm not uh, uh, saying that they're a bad technology, but there are other forms of technologies which are also needed to, to make the energy transition actually work. So when everyone on these conferences were talking about the future of energy being batteries, at that time, we knew that pumped hydro was 95% of the world's energy storage by capacity and by duration or total energy stored, it was well over 99% and still is. And so the question we asked ourselves is, why are all these commentators saying that this very mature technology is a solution for the past, but it's not a solution for the future? And so we just had a quick look at why that was the case. And it's to do with water abstraction, um, lack of available sites, uh, the time it takes to consent and construct projects, environmental and social issues, um, which, which altogether means that they're difficult projects to consent and construct and build, and certainly difficult in the timescales that the climate crisis demands. So we just asked ourselves the question, is there anything you can do with innovation to bring this 
industry with a global footprint forward into the 21st century to provide a solution for the energy transition. And what we decided to look at was the density of the fluid. So rather than using water, if you can use a high density fluid, um, you can do one of two things. You can either lower the vertical elevation that's needed, um, which gives you many, many more siting opportunities, or you can reduce the volumetric size of a project. And both of those reductions are proportionate to the increase in density. So for us, our density is two and a half times that of water. So it's just over the density of concrete. So a concrete block would float just in our, our, our fluid. Um, and with that, with, with a two and a half times the density of water, it means that the vertical elevation can be reduced by 60%. So our sites are 40% the height of a project with water. And so on a 200 meter elevation project for us, we get the same performance as a water project at 500 meters. And when you're driving down the motorway, or on a train looking out the window, you know there are many more low hills than high hills. You know, it's, so we're just bringing you know orders of magnitude more siting opportunities to a high density project. And then the projects we're looking at creating smaller projects faster to deploy something that can be consented in you know a, a year or thereabouts, um, and then built within a year to two years depending on the size of the project. So within. Um, Two, two to four years, you can have a project that's consented and operational and making a difference to the energy transition rather than traditional pumped hydro where you're talking 15 to 20 years, which is just too slow. So if you really want to facilitate renewable energy, decarbonize the power system, have solutions for um, the energy crisis that we're experiencing and the climate crisis, then you need things that can be deployed at scale quickly. And that's what we're bringing. And the other thing we bring is because there's an existing industry with a global footprint, our supply chain already exists. So we don't have to build a new gigafactory for a new type of battery chemistry. Our supply chain exists. And um, so we can rapidly deploy sites across the world simultaneously. It's high school physics for a start. I'm amazed no one's thought about it before. It seems to be there screaming at you, particularly because of the infrastructure. Are you bridging a gap here or has similar innovation been rolled out elsewhere in the world? Innovation in gravitational energy storage, where lifting blocks and things like that um, is happening. Various companies are advocating it, um, some better than others in our view. Um, so, so there is innovation in gravity energy storage. As far as we can see, no one in the world is doing um, a high density fluid as a as a uh, energy storage in the way we're doing with it. And we're also often asked the question: It seems so obvious. Why is no one else doing it? And you know, we don't have a sort of clear answer to that. But we think that it's fundamentally to do with the need. So for, for years and years that you had pumped hydro that was doing its job and then um, the system needed short-term flexibility, which was being done by batteries. And um, then suddenly people realised actually there's still a need with just the sheer volumes of energy that's going to need to be shifted on a daily or weekly basis is absolutely vast if you're going to a renewable energy system and you need storage solutions that can cope with that. 
So if you take a step back, you can look at academic exercises which have said, you know, you can use a higher density fluid and these are the um, performances, but no one's really taken it any further than that ac academic theory. Um, so what we've done is taken that, that idea and pushed it forward into a solution that is realizable and commercial. And so that's the aim of our business in to do that globally and make a fundamental difference to the you know, the energy and the climate emergency. Can you tell me what the fluid is? Sure. Um, so the fluid is a suspended solid in water. So we use an environmentally benign mineral um, and we then create that into a powder. Um, we add um, polymer chemistry to it and water. Um, and so we have a benign suspension in water and the chemistry makes it stable, low viscosity over long periods of time. Um, and there's nothing in the fluid that indicates that it shouldn't last for 60 years or even longer. So it's a, um, a project like ours is very much a long-term infrastructure solution. Um, it's a solution that enables low-cost renewable energy to consumers over decade-long time periods. So um, consumers can have predictable, stable power prices forever. You know, that's, that's what we're offering. That's incredible. Um, why Canada? There was a demonstration in Canada recently, and I've noticed that you are hiring in Montreal as well. Yeah, so, so, so um, a, a couple of thing, things there. Why Canada? Why the UK? So um, I'm based in the UK. Our CTO is based in Montreal in Canada. Um, and when we first had the idea, um, Tamas is who I turned to initially, and then Richard Cochran, um, to answer the question, you know, is this, is this idea possible? Um, and we thought it was. And so we started exploring it as an idea. Um, and then we got to the point, well, okay, this looks like it's got a real potential in the market. You know, how are we going to set the business up? Um, myself in London, Tamas in Montreal. Um, and we realized that we wanted to be a global business anyway. And so setting up a business with two centers of gravity was um, not really a uh, thing that we should be scared of, given the fact that we want to have a global presence, that we'll have to do it at some point. So why not? Um, figure out how to make a business work in two locations from the outset. And so um, we're broadly set up where we do mechanical and electrical engineering in Montreal, in, in Canada. So um, probably 70, 80% of our R&D is done there. And then in the UK is the center for um, uh, the head office functions, uh, commercial functions, operational functions. And we also do um, chemistry um, in the UK with partnership with universities, University of Greenwich and shortly University of Exeter too. Um, so we're, um, yeah, and, and it's actually been really good um, recruiting mecha mechanical electrical engineers in Montreal has been excellent um, and uh, finding the right head office staff, back office people in London has been excellent. So, you know, we don't regret that decision at all. Okay, so tell me about the difference between a Canadian energy policy and what's happening right now in the UK. Because recently, I know that you were awarded, I think it was just last year, a Bayes grant uh, for a number of million, which was fantastic. Tell me, are you able to get that type of support in, in Canada as well? Yeah, the, the, um, the support is different, as you would expect. They're sort of Policy mechanisms are are different in Canada to the 
UK. So we have a grant which is a collaboration with Queen's University in Canada. Um, uh, so that was set up in, in Canada. Um, the tax rebates in Canada are more generous than the UK. Um, so for R&D tax rebates are, are very good over there. Um, what we're tending to find is that in the UK, there is greater support for earlier stage um, technology development, while in Canada, there tends to be more support for um, later stage when you're just pre-commercial. So that's quite a good dovetailing of, of um, governmental support. And, and then in Canada, obviously, you're right next to the US and there's all sorts of opportunities in the US, especially with the Inflation Reduction Act. So having an operation in the same time zones as New York, you know, the East Coast is, is a huge advantage um, and the ability to cross the border and reach out to the states, um, which ultimately is going to be one of the bigger markets in terms of energy storage and renewable energy. So being on that continent is a big advantage. So um, we're very pleased with that decision. Stephen is an inspirational character with an impressive resume. He has spent 10 years in the renewable energy industry, five years developing innovation and policy, and 15 years in architecture and design. His expertise in bridging the gaps between policy, innovation, technology, and finance creates a solid foundation to build an energy business. And with Reenergize, he has built a team with a broad range of experience in finance, energy and technical development, essential talent in driving success. Being located in Europe and North America also supports this business model. For me though, it's also about the functionality of their hydro system, a neat system that fits with existing infrastructure. I asked Stephen how and where it would be rolled out. Yeah, sure, um, so, so, so we just need a hill really. And that's that's it. Um, <laughs> a hill and a power collect connection and a planning department or local community that will support us. So that's really all all we need for a project. Um, so the project could could be beside a, um, a wind farm or an existing hydro facility, or um, it could be on rather than right next to the river. It could be on the opposite side of the hill, but still connected to the same points. And you know, one of the things that we see as our advantage is the flexibility of what we're trying to do. Um, we're, we're not constrained. So, so um, something like a hydropower solution, pumped hydro, they're looking for hanging valleys. So they're looking for a high valley where they can dam across, across the face of it. Um, so it's, it's not only height they need, but also very specific geography. Um, and that makes the opportunities few and far between. But for us, it's... You know, change in elevation, you know, buried underground, it can be on a slope or it can be flat at the top, you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, so just the opportunities are huge for us in terms of number of sites. And not disturbing the the environment once it's all in place, it just sits there and becomes part of, of that, that local area. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and because our projects we intend to last for 60 years or longer, that it's a great opportunity for landscaping and, and creating these still relatively small landscape corridors. So you would, you know, screens of trees or shrubs at the top and uh, down, down where the pipes run down the hill again, you'd landscape around that and, 
again at the bottom. So you're creating these these the potential for um, uh, environmental areas which are not going to be disturbed for decades um, because there's all there, there's a operational project sitting below and behind, which means that you know nature can take its course over that period of time, and and we think that's great. We can always even put things like in the structures we build, you know, bird boxes, back bat boxes, you, you know, all of these things you, you could just incorporate into it, it's, you know, which would be great. But one thing that we're really keen to do as a business is, is um, and we're exploring these ideas and we've actually got another grant to explore waste materials from other industries to make the fluid. Wow, um, that's interesting. So, so this is something that we've, um, already embarked upon we're around six weeks into that project um, and we're um, getting waste materials from three or four industries now um, well we haven't actually got them yet but they're in the post um, uh, to, to start exploring whether we can create sort of circular economies in waste materials from other industries to create the fluid so that's an exciting two-year project that we're again funded by Bayes or Desney, as they're now called. Um, uh, so that's exciting. And, and we've got further ideas on how to reuse other materials for, for in, in part of our construction process, which we haven't got a grant for yet, but we were talking about it just before this call about you know who, who our partners might be on, on, on doing that. So we've not only got this solution, but we're helping to solve other industries' waste problems. Um, you know, that, that's an exciting prospect. Collaboration and partnership going forward is just so key, isn't it, for a greater and a bigger solution. As you've just said, it's like there are other opportunities out there where you can support, particularly when it comes to waste and upcycling and the circular economy of, of utilising someone else's waste is another man's opportunity. I mean, that, that's sort of the whole story around um, man's impact on the world and climate change and, and solutions that solve one problem are, you know, fantastic. Solutions that solve two or three are even better. And one of the great things about our team is you know, how imaginative they are, where we try to have a culture whereby it doesn't matter how silly you think your idea might be, but share it. That's where innovation and change come from. And that's ultimately what's going to make it better for all of us. Where we have a problem, um, we also have an opportunity. And if we can help solve someone else's problem by that opportunity, that's great. So let's just talk about now where, where you're at. Um, let's just backtrack a little bit. So obviously you had um, your concept and you tested it out and you did your demonstration day. You also went down the route of crowdfunding. Am I correct there? Yeah, um, very much so. Um, so we took the decision quite early that um, that, that, that crowdfunding was a, a good route for us. Um, we we had a an idea and um, a certain amount of testing and some grant support, some earlier grant support from from the UK government to to develop the the idea and the technology a bit further, prove it. And um, what the, the great thing about crowdfunding is you're as a business, you're very much in control of the timing. It is quite a lot of effort, but once you've started in that process, you know from um, the day you start it to roughly five months later, you're 
have the money in the bank or you would have failed to get it you know so 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 the time frame is very predictable and that's a huge advantage to a business like ours you can make a decision about we'll have visibility within 3 months about how much money we'll receive how much support there is from the from from the the crowd the the, the many members of the public that we're very grateful to um and then from that the visibility of how much you're going to get to actually having it in your bank account is all quite short and predictable and that means that you can get on with running the business and 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 get on with the next stage of, of that development rather than having to um hunker down and uh, if the fundraising is slower or you have this stop start um happen or you have the risk of you stopping and then re- trying to accelerate again maybe lose key people etc etc so the predictability is incredibly valuable um and it's a good process um, so we're 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 very grateful um we're now moving on to um do a series a fundraising which is larger and and the principle behind that is um there comes a limit to what the crowd can support and what the which is different to what the business needs um so the business going forward really needs um more money than the the crowdfunding is able to provide but also you need to develop the relationships with um your supply chain whether that's sort of finance for projects or your uh, equipment suppliers or project developers you need the relationships and the support of of businesses that are bigger than we are so so at some point which is for us is now you do have to shift from um a very supportive network of like-minded people i guess we 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 quite regularly come across people where you you're at some event and someone says ah oh, i've got an investment in you and i made it in you know early 2022 or, or something like that and it happens all the time which is great but yeah unfortunately um you need deeper pockets and you've got to go to you know institutional investors or venture capital and to ensure that the the business grows and fundamentally we're a business that is trying to solve the climate crisis you know we're trying to enable vast amounts of renewable energy to be put on the grid in one form or another so we're an enabler for the energy transition and that's fundamentally what motivates us to make that difference to climate change to mitigate climate change without more substantial funding we can't keep accelerating the growth and achieving that um we could go much slower but then we don't move the needle on climate change which is what we're trying to do i've heard it say that finding a series a investor is like an old fashioned courtship uh, are you finding that are you are you down the down the road with that is it happening right now or are you still looking oh it's happening right now so so we've had um uh, i was asked by our PR person Philippa um yesterday how many conversations have you had one on one this month i've had 22 um so 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 um we have a, a an awful lot of interest we're 2 months into the process so um uh, i guess i've probably had 80 conversations over that 2 month period from in you know, a corporates and vcs so there's a significant amount of interest in what we're doing um like you say it is a courtship um we have a good data room um and we've been giving access to various people to that data room to 
take it through to the next stages of the conversation for investment. So we're reasonably bullish about the process. Um, the, the, the interest has been phenomenal. Our advisors have been saying, you know, it's the interest is good, you know, among the best they've seen. So um, uh, given where we are and you know, collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and, you know, other things which are going on in the market, there's still a lot of interest. Um, we don't fit the criteria for all investment funds, whatever reason that we're not quite right for them. So you know, we've had some people say super interested, not for us at the moment. You've got a very impressive team behind you with a broad swathe of, of skills at a very high level. Um, so you're developing the business on, on so many levels. And you have, obviously, because of your experience and where you've come from, you have a, a sort of in-depth understanding of the industry. Um, yeah, so, so we're, we're super fortunate with the quality of the team that we've managed to, to recruit. Um, uh, we have six PhDs in a team of 20, so, so um, two MBAs, no, three, three now. Um, and so, so we're, we're, our team is very talented um, uh, and we, we do have, and the, the founders have a broad range of experience, as you say, um, working in energy, um, the, the financial side of the energy industry, um, but also in the technical development. Um, so, yeah, we think our team is, is very strong. We're continuing to um, uh, improve it and grow the team. And in terms of the, the engineering that we're doing, um, when we talk to people, the initial thinking is it's all about the fluid. You know, it's the fluid, it's the fluid, it's the fluid. But the reality is that once you've introduced a new fluid into a hydropower-like system, it affects everything else. So um, you then have to go, okay, well, the fluid affects the turbo machinery and therefore the pumps and turbines need to be designed to accommodate the fluid. So um, for our pumps and turbines, vo volumetrically, they're only 40% of the size of a turbine for water, but the forces remain the same. So you, your um, things get smaller, which is great from a cost perspective, um, but you've got to redesign them because the forces remain the same. So they're different to a, a water turbine. And, that, and then that sort of progresses through the whole system. So you've got your flow control systems, how you operate the projects, um, et cetera, et cetera. So the fluid is the starting point, but it affects everything else. And so we tend to talk about six critical subsystems where you've got to develop innovation, res research, IP around these the, the critical subsystems to make a whole system, which is then what we plan to license to property developers globally. When you say property developers, is there any other in any particular industry that you're targeting which would really be able to sort of use this? Well, yes and, and no, um, I suppose is the answer to that. So we see there's some beachhead markets. So uh, the mining industry is, is one which are really looking how they can decarbonize their their operations their high energy users um, but also other commercial industrial um, users um, so, so, so those are good beachhead markets um, as are um, markets where they've got grid problems so south africa their their um, grid supplier is regularly turning off the power to all sorts of different businesses and so the market is really about system security, how you can pro operate your business 
um, rather than necessarily the cost of energy. Um, and so we're seeing beachhead markets in um, uh, all sorts of farming applications across South Africa and, and, and things like that. Um, but ultimately, we think the biggest market is co-location with renewable energy projects or being adjacent to renewable energy projects or on the grid at um, areas of congestion. Um, so where the power can't get through at a certain time of day, that, that, that you, you, we have a solution to ease that congestion at those points or close to demand. So on the edge of cities um, and towns whereby, again, you need to buffer the energy that, that going into the city at some point. Um, so, so that's what we, you know, ultimately it's a grid connected solution to provide, you know, low cost power all the time to consumers. I think business is now catching up with uh, the climate scientists and all the reports which have been rolled out over over decades now. Um, and that really comes down to timing with your solution as well. Do you think it would have sat as as easily in this space even five years ago? Um, if we had started 10 years earlier, we probably wouldn't be any further forward than we are now um, because the market was just wrong. The solutions were a solution like ours, which is offering a medium duration technology, was just not needed. The need is here in some markets now and in many, many more markets in three to five years and then across the world 10 years time. So the need is very much upon us. Um, it's a tidal wave of opportunity um, for, for, for us as a business and it's just, just beginning to take off. Um, so we're very pleased with where we are in terms of um, technology development, um, growing market, you know, it's a super exciting time. And I must say, congratulations, you have been shortlisted uh, for, let me just get this right, shortlisted for the whole Energy System Innovation Award at this year's Green Energy Awards. And how did that make you feel? I mean, that's testament, if anything. In industry, the recognition by your peers um, is, a, is a great thing. So people who are expert in the industry see what the industry is needed, um, both in terms of innovation but also in terms of the broader energy market and so having recognition by your peers as being a, an industry leader um, is excellent. Is it something where you you know in five years ten years you want to be driving down the M1 and you can see a little hillock there and you know it's powering all the EVs in this <sighs> service station next to your to the motorway? Yeah and, and absolutely that's our ambition is that um, you're driving down the motorway you probably don't see the project um, um, because you know, people don't necessarily want to see things on the on the tops of hills or um, probably not even on the top of hills. We're more likely to build the upper storage tanks on the shoulder of a hill. So it's not at the very highest point, but at a point which is less sensitive, build a project, um, then landscape it, hide it. We'll know that the project's there. It's powering the EV charging or the local town or the local business, um, but the general public won't. And you know, that's great. They'll... Uh, um, and then they're here on the, the news that this year, you know, 2030, 90% of their electricity has come from renewables. As a business, internally, we talk about being a member of the Gigaton Club, which is really about having a solution which is saving um, gigatons of CO2 per year, you know, or per decade or whatever. Obviously, there's a growth curve to that. But a gigaton of CO2 saved is, is the, 
those are the sorts of businesses that will move the needle on climate change and that's where we want to be and, and we firmly believe we have a solution that has the provides the opportunity to deliver that so you know, that's our ambition that's just incredible and we will watch with great interest as you scale your business and make a real positive impact uh, across the world. Stephen Crocher, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much, Claire. It's been a pleasure talking to you. You've been listening to Cultivating Conversations with me, Claire Nazir. Cultivating Conversations is a Chaseman Global production.